0: Let's give it up for for Ashley and Lindsay. Did you know one cool thing about Lindsay? Her husband's a pilot. Ashley's isn't, but Lindsay's is, and I just think that's awesome. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but you're welcome. Um, hey, we're gonna we're gonna talk for a couple more minutes, and then we'll dismiss. And um, and I just want to say how cool this is that we're gathering, you know, Steve, I think I heard, you don't have to know that Steve Bodwell's here, all you got to do is hear him, and I've heard him, he's somewhere out there. Oh, there he is. (laughs) But, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, I've been a youth pastor for nine years, and uh, I'm getting old, I got a lot of gray hairs, I also got some frosted tips, they're mostly gone, but uh, (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Um, but it's really cool that we've been doing, we've been doing this, I know, like, I know Nick Longmire's not here anymore, but him and, uh, and people like uh, Steve and uh, Lindsey and Ashley, we've been doing this for a long time. And every year, it seems like this continues to expand, and, and I think it's cool that, you know, we had a worship team up here tonight with like five different churches represented. That's awesome. I think there's eight churches, eight or nine churches represented in this room right now. Let's give Jesus a hand for that. And um I just think it's awesome. The the scripture talks about how good it is when the when the 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 people of God dwell together in unity because in those spaces, that's where God commands a blessing. And I think, I think what, what we see today, what we see in our community, you know, we experienced a lot of loss in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I don't want to be all heavy tonight, but this is the truth, especially if you're in the Tahoma community. Saw two suicides in a week's time, three in the, since last spring. Not to mention plenty of the plethora of other issues that we see in our culture And in our community today. But I think that the solution, it's a lot simpler than we think. It's just when we get together as the body of Christ and we know that though we look, act, talk, and even at times share some different philosophies that we're different, that together we're on the same team bringing the hope of Jesus everywhere we go. And when we're unified in that, man, a lot of good stuff can happen. Do you believe that? And uh, so I think this is a win tonight. We were talking, the youth pastors uh, the other day, just around the table, at Rostretto's up in the hangar, and um, uh, not to be confused with an airplane hangar, but a -er, hanger, and we were talking up there, and this is, we we said that this is a, a capital C church thing, this isn't a lowercase c church thing, this isn't a, you know, one church or the other, or one youth group or the other, this is... God's church, God's kingdom here in our community, and we believe that we can do a lot better together than we can on our own. Amen? Um, I, want to, I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to share a few minutes. My name is Taylor. I'm the youth pastor at, at Real Life Church, and I know we have... Stop, stop, stop. I want to shout out... Hey, you didn't know this, but we got, we got... Wow, thank you. We have some lead pastors in the house... Chris and Sonny Larson from Faith Church in Kent, and uh, these are like two of the coolest people, they're my favorite, and uh, if, I ever get, if I ever get fired, I'm coming to your church, so, which who knows, maybe it's sooner than later, but, uh, um, but uh, hey, it's good to be here. I graduated 15 years ago from Tahoma High School, and I came here... In high school to this, and so it's just is surreal it 's fun, but um, Ephesians chapter six, and uh, this is the apostle Paul, and he 's writing to a church that he 'd started in ephesus and, and he's actually this is one of, one of four letters that he wrote from prison, and he, he was writing likely on house arrest in a room in a small room uh, or, or in a prison in a dark cell where there 's uh, a, a guard watching over him in the doorway with his arms crossed, yelling profanity. I don't actually know if that's the case, but he's watching over Paul. He's writing from prison, and he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church. And and I want to read a passage from this that I think is very crucial as we approach our walks with God, because the truth is, like I mentioned a moment ago, we live in a culture and in a society and in communities, and we go to school in places that, much like the culture in Ephesus— they, there's some contrast between what we get right here and what we walked into on Thursday morning at 7.35. And I know that it's fun to be in here and we, we, we feel the collective heartbeat. But we, we like the vibe, right? We, like to, we enjoy the, wow, man, there's over 400 people here right now. Over 400 people here right now. That's killer. And... But I can promise you, especially as you go back to your schools, you will not go back in a crowd of 400, stopping into your school, singing praises to the Lord, and to see people magnetized towards you. It's going to look a lot different. You're going to walk into darkness. You're going to have a friend say, hey, you know, with everything that's been going on the last couple of weeks, um, it's reminded me I've got some stuff that I haven't really talked about. Can you help me? And you're going to hear about someone whose parents just split up and they're filing for divorce. And you're going to hear about, you know, things going on in our society and in our politics and around the world that seem like, wow, the world is not a lot like this. And this is great, but this is not reality. And I go into reality and I feel like I'm in a battlefield and what am I supposed to do? And I don't know if you've ever felt that, but you go to a, an environment where you feel like God's pointing at your heart. I mean, that testimony, that second testimony, she was tearing up, but I started tearing up before she even did. And then she did, and it was even more. It's like, I'm a dad now, and I cry at everything. But, and it's like, wow, man, like, th- that's so true. That God's, There's nothing that can separate you from God's love, and yet there's this contrast between what we experience and feel here and where we go It's as if we're walking into a battlefield. That's why this passage is so crucial. And it says this in Ephesians chapter 6. And many of you brought your Bibles. Many of you did not. And if you didn't, we will have it on the screen for you. But it's Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read in verse 10. I'm going to read a few verses for you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against rulers and against the authorities and powers of the, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, therefore, put on the full armor of God. I'm going to say full armor of God. Armor. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, that you'll be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything that you can to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. I'm reading fast, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and in all occasions pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the saints. Oh, there we go. I, I want to talk for just a couple minutes on this idea of where's your helmet. And where's your helmet? And I'm not sure where you're at with the, um, with the sports thing, but I, in eighth grade I watched a little movie, the greatest Disney Channel original movie of all time, and that is a, a movie called Brink. Has anyone seen Brink? Brink is a, is a movie about rollerblading. And you might be saying, Taylor, no one rollerblades today. But I'm telling you, man, when I watched that movie and I saw the Soul Skaters... And uh, they, 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 they defeated Team X-Blades, and I'm like, I, I got to do this. I bought myself a pair of Bauer Shifties for $80 from Big Five, and I started skating. And I remember one day, a few years in, at this point, I'm a good rollerblader. Me and my friend Mike and Ruben and, and uh, Zach and Tyler were all skating at the high school, and uh, at the old high school right over here. And uh, off to the side of the high school, there's a 10-stair out back. I don't know if you know where it is. But it's a 10 stairs, and uh, I've jumped the 12 stair and done all this kind of stuff. But I'm trying what, what you would call a faky 360 down the 10 stair. And I'm going to do a faky 360, and what you do is you're going backwards, and you do a full rotation, then you land backwards again. And I'm trying this down the 10 stair, and I keep landing but then falling, keep landing and then falling. And finally I'm like, you know what, I know my mom tells me to wear my helmet. I'm going to take my helmet off. I feel like it's cramping my style. And so I take off my helmet. And so I I try it, and the very first time, I I don't know if it did something to my psyche, but I get to the steps, and I start to rotate, and I realize once it's too late and I'm mid-air that my feet start to go in the wrong direction, and I end up landing straight on my butt. It's the first thing that hits, and I bounce backwards, and I hit my head on the ground. To this date, I had never hit my head skating. And the one time I take off my helmet, I end up hitting my head. I get up. My head is pounding for hours. Actually, I think by now, this was before the days of knowing what concussions were. Okay, it wasn't. I'm not that old. But um, I, I think I had a concussion because I kept getting up and being dizzy. And my friend said, Taylor, just sit. I'm still alive. I went to sleep that night, and I made it. So, um, so there you go. But, but it's interesting isn't it funny, like, you don't think that your helmet's important until you're not wearing your helmet and you hit your head. And suddenly you appreciate that you are wearing your helmet. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, there, was, I, there were so many times after that date that I would fall. I never once hit my head when my helmet was on. But that's the thing about helmets, is you don't need helmets for when you don't hit your head, you need your helmet in case you hit your head. And I think it's interesting that Paul uses this analogy of helmets and, and armor and all this kind of stuff. He goes through all of the armor, right? He says, I want you to take up the full armor of God. Now keep in mind, he's writing this from prison. He's sitting in a prison cell, he's looking up, and he's one of those guys who's like, you know what? I'm stuck in prison, all my peeps are outside, I might as well like turn this into a spiritual thing. And the guard's probably there like, man, why did I get stuck on duty with this crazy spiritual weirdo? I hate this guy. He's just the worst. And Paul's like, bro, I'm going to turn this into a lesson. You ever, you, like, you ever hung out with your youth leader or something, and they always turn it back into like a God story or something like that? Don't you love it? This is what Paul did. He's just like, hey, you know, like I don't know anything else. I'm kind of goofy. And so I'm just going to turn everything into a a Jesus moment. And he did this. He's looking up. I I can imagine he's sitting on the floor. He's chained up, leaning up against the wall in the hot Middle Eastern heat. And he's looking up at the soldier and he sees the helmet and he sees the shield and he sees the sword and he sees the belt and the, the breastplate. And he's like, you know what? If soldiers, hey friends back here, I'll be done in 10 minutes. I'll be done in 10 minutes, I promise you. If soldiers, when they go into battle, need armor, then how much more do Christians need armor when they go through life into dark places? And into what we would call a spiritual battle. Paul says, the the war that we're in is not one that's physical. It's a spiritual one. So he says... You know, you got the belt of truth, and you know what that means. It means that the truth that God loves you, when you have that around your waist, it's going to hold your breastplate in place. The breastplate represents righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, which means when you know that you're loved by God, it will anchor your standing with God, your right standing with God, so you can know that because God loves you, there's nothing that you can do like that testimony tonight. Love it so good. That was so good. That, that when you know you're loved by God, you know that nothing you do can change how you are positioned with God. And when you know that, then you've got a shield of faith that when the errors the of the enemy, the discouragement, the lies at 3 a.m. that say, you're no good, why don't you do what somebody else did to themselves? That you can say, sorry, enemy, I've got faith, and you're throwing the, the, the fiery darts, and they are on fire, and it is scary, but I've got my faith to protect me. And I've got shoes of peace that wherever I go, whether it's easy or rough terrain, I know that I can have peace in the midst of it. So he's noticing all of these things. He's saying, I want you to take up all these things. And then he says, I want you to have the helmet of salvation. Now, the interesting thing about the helmet... It was made out of, most likely, the average soldier would probably have a leather helmet. It was fitted to their head. And then over the top of it would be a metal thing that they would fasten onto their head. And it would be really stuck on there. And the leather would go over their shoulders, often down even onto their arms, covering their neck. So if somebody tried to hit you with a sword, it would probably not take your head off. Because newsflash, if your head falls off, you can't keep going. It's not a video game. It just doesn't work that way. And so... It would cover your neck, it would cover your head, and so you'd be protected. And the interesting thing about it is no Roman soldier would ever go into any on-duty battle-type situation without his helmet on. It was the last piece that he'd put on, and if the soldier ever walked into any environment with all of his get-up, but he didn't have his helmet on, then he was seen in that moment as a civilian. That doesn't matter if he's got a shield doesn't matter if he's got his sword out. Doesn't matter if he's, he looks the part. If he doesn't have his helmet on, then he is considered a civilian. Why? Because you put your helmet on when it's time to go because your helmet ha- covers your head, which represents the command center of your body. It's your mind. It's your thinking. It's your, it's your skills. It's your ability in the moment to not worry, is my head going to get cut off? Because It's protected. So the helmet, it's interesting. So Paul says, oh, you have the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. The the reason that I think that this is so significant, this is where I want to end. I'm going to end in just a couple minutes. The reason that the helmet of salvation is so significant is because when you wear a helmet, it it protects your brain. protects your mind. And a lot of people today, I'll say something, I want you to hear this. A lot of people today think that sin will destroy your life. But I want to take it a little bit further. It's not sin that will destroy your life so much as how you think about sin that will destroy your life. I don't know if you've ever known somebody who made a mistake and they start beating themselves up about it. And they did that one thing with that one person that one time. And now that's who they are. And so they say, you know what, this is who I am. This is who I'll always be. My dad says it about me. My friends say it about me. This is who I am. I am. Can I tell you that it is not the mistake that they made that derails them. It is how they think about it. Because I know a lot of people who have made epic mistakes. Hashtag every single person in here. You and me, we all know that we're on the same playing field. Meaning you and I have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We know this. We've all made mistakes. We do not match up. But... Knowing that, it's so so interesting how so many people, what they do is when they make a mistake, they start to say over themselves, man, uh, every time I get into this situation, this is what I do. I am a failure. I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. I, I just, I'll never get this right. And so what do we do? We rehearse over ourselves everything that doesn't work. This is who I am. A failure. Paul understood something. That when you put salvation on your head that, sal, that word salvation means if there's any one word to describe it, it's the word hope. It means to have hope where you once had no hope. So when you're wearing the, the helmet you could call it the helmet of hope. What happens is everything in your mind is now filtered through hope. Are you tracking with me? So everything that you think about, everything that you look at, you look at your future, you look at others, you look at yourself, you look at your failures, you're no longer looking through a lens of an unprotected mind. Instead, you're looking at it through a lens of I have hope. If I could leave you with one simple thought tonight, it is this. As you go into your school tomorrow, As you encounter your friends, because some of you may say, well, this isn't me, but I can guarantee you, you have nine or ten friends at your school that they're on a downward spiral because of how they think about themselves, what people have said to them. I remember something in seventh grade that someone said to me, made fun of me in the moment jokingly. can guarantee you he does not remember this, but the words that he spoke in that moment, can I tell you, it stuck with me for over a decade. Seventh grade insignificant words. Some of you had things that people said about you, a rumor, something you overheard, something that a family member said to you or said about you. And now what you've done is you've allowed that word and that falsehood, not truth, you've allowed that to define who you are. And what Paul understood and what Jesus wants you to know is that you don't have to be bound to that anymore you can put on the helmet of hope and know that no matter what comes your way, what you see in the future, what you see about yourself, what you see about others, what you see about your failure is through now a lens of hope. A lot of times, man, I don't know if it's you, but I was discouraged and encouraged this last week. Two young people took their lives. I'm gonna invite the band to come forward. We're gonna close here in just a moment. But two young people, man, they took their lives. And uh, you'll understand it someday, and there's some parents in the room, but when you have a kid, it adds some perspective. I cannot imagine. That's just, oh my gosh, it's so, that's heavy. Heavy stuff. And I hear about this kind of stuff, and it's, it's just heartbreaking. But at the same time, as we gathered and we prayed and Some of us gathered for a vigil and we're all here tonight, over 400 people gathered here tonight to remind ourselves that in the midst of all of this darkness that we have a hope. What Hebrews says is we have this hope and it's an anchor for our souls. And some of you, I don't know where you're at with your soul, where you're at in the middle of the night or where your friend is at and what they're struggling with, but I can tell you that there are so many people who their souls are just out in the middle of the ocean being tossed to and fro because of the waves and the disasters of the world and the discouragement and the failures and the issues. And it's difficult. It's not easy. But the beautiful thing, when we put on the helmet of salvation, what is it? We're putting on hope as our filter. And now that hope becomes what anchors our souls. That when we fail... It doesn't define you. Some of you need to know that what you did last year, whether it's significant or not, can I tell you? You need to hear me. It doesn't define who you are. What you've, the mistakes that you've made, the issues you've struggled with, the things that have happened to you, they don't define who you are. The fact is, if you have on the full armor of God, you know I've got this belt on and it's the truth of God's love for me. So when I have that on, I know I've got the breastplate on. It's the fact that I'm made right with God. So devil, even though I, I know I, like, I made mistakes and sometimes you gotta like, just kind of pretend it's like that. You're in your room, you're feeling discouraged and you got lies coming into your head. You're such a fool, you're an idiot, you're a slut. You'll never amount to anything. You have no future. You'll never get where you thought you could go. And these things start to come into your mind. I don't know if they do for you, but they have for me. And in those moments, all you've got to do is say, you know what? I'm loved by God. I've been made right with God. I've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So everywhere I go, I'm sorry. I know that that seems real. But can I tell you, enemy who's out there, who has no power in my house, in my life, I have hope. I have hope. And no matter where I go and what I experience and what I do, how many times I fall down, I still have hope. What does this mean? I know there's a lot of people in here who say, okay, well, I know this. But this is important because you don't just need this. There are tens of thousands of people within a five-mile radius right here that are your age who in their lives, they have no hope. When they go home, they have no hope. When they go to school, they have no hope. When they go to their families, they have no hope. So what God has called us to do is to make hope our filter for not only how we see ourselves and our failure and our future, but how we see others. And some of us, we love coming to this kind of stuff. We love lifting our hands and having fun with each other. And it's great and wonderful then we look at people and we think that the hope only applies to us. But can I tell you that there's not a single person that you've ever encountered who doesn't have the same hope for them because Jesus came to bring that for everybody. And what us, you and me, the people of God, the people of God's church in this community, Covington, Maple Valley, Black Diamond, Auburn, Kent, that God has called us to do, God has called us, to now bring the hope that we've found and bring it everywhere we go. I think there's some people in here who you've got the hope, but it's time for you to spread it. I would venture to say that probably eight out of 10 of us in here have at some point in our lives, maybe even more than that, have professed faith in Christ. And I think that is so awesome. And I think you should celebrate that and be thankful for it. And we ought to cheer each other on and, and encourage one another. But friends, You will go to school tomorrow and you'll go back to your normal, but you don't go back the same way. You have a hope that is your lens for how you see every person you come in contact with. That teacher who you thought is just a total jerk, you can see hope for them. That person who you were friends with in elementary school, but they stabbed you in the back and you've been apart for a long time, you can see hope for them. That person who left the church and has been running for a long time. You haven't seen them in a long time. You know what they're doing on the weekends. There's hope for them. And maybe you're that person. There's hope for you. Do you believe that tonight? I want to encourage us as we, if you're, if you're comfortable, would you stand with me all across this room? And uh, I think it would be important as we close that we're reminded of this truth because again, please understand that this is not meant to be something that ends right here. I believe that this right here can be a catalyst. I believe that, that, that our youth ministries are going to grow. We're going to reach more people. But it's not by us just doing more awesome stuff. It's by you as an individual going into your school seeing the same people through a different lens. And this is what we do is we make hope our filter. Everyone put your hand on your heart if you're comfortable doing that. I want you to repeat after me if you're okay with it. And maybe you, you've never allowed Jesus to come into your life. I would encourage you to pray, but I would encourage you to talk to your youth leader and, and uh, talk to them about making a decision to change your life and really allow God to change your life. But we're gonna allow hope to be our filter for how we see the future. Would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus... Thank you for hope. I choose to make it my filter. Now help me as I go to school, as I go to work, as I go to my family, as I see my friends, to see them through hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, are you thankful for what God's about to do through you?